It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Hey everybody, welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the podcast that brings you all of the, or most of the latest in the technology world. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going great. Yeah, good to hear. Sounds like you probably had a better day than I did. Yeah, I'm running on a little bit of sleep, but uh, I guess the lack of brain cells makes me happier. Yeah, I kind of notice that on occasion, too. But what makes me really happy is we have one of our all-time favorite guests on the show, Mr. Walt Ribeiro. How's it going, Walt? Yo, dudes. I'm I'm, I'm the all-time favorite? Wow. Yeah. That is, like, that's tough to top. Like, how do I top myself? Well, so you're, you're, where the one do I go from here? you're the one who's appeared on the show the most. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, it's because I enjoy it. So let's So let's do this. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun having you on the show. But cool, thanks, guys. Yeah, um, I guess we'll go. So ahead this and... is a podcast number sixty-two. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, this is number sixty-two, and I realized about an hour after we recorded last week's that I forgot to mention that last week's was sixty-one as well. So maybe that was be why our numbers were kind of in the toilet for last week. I don't know. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, those, that's, it's kind of sad. Anyway, for those that want to follow along, you can follow along at globalgeeknews.com, where we have all of the links to the stories, all of the tips of the week, and all kinds of other stuff. Don't forget to check out the new Global Geek News store, which you can find a link to that at the top of the page. Or actually, that takes you to another page, which then gives you the link. It It's... Uh, just a bad system. One quick thing that I do want to address before we get into the stories is that the RSS feed will be changing. I'm not sure exactly when, but um, there are some issues with the RSS feed. The service that I use now, Rapid Feeds, is kind of going to a pay model, and they're asking a little bit more than I care for just to keep the all the functionality that we have now. So I'm looking to change it, but I'm not sure quite who I'm going to change it to at this point. But So if anybody has any recommendations for RSS feed generators, let me know. And if anybody can help me through the process of um, changing RSS feeds on things like iTunes and the Zoom Marketplace, I'd really appreciate that as well. But anyway, uh, okay, I just got a new... No, yeah, oh. no, that uh, that was for me. Uh, who oh, okay. is creating a pay model now? Yeah, um, Rapid Feeds has decided to go to a freemium model. Wow, okay. But the problem with what they're doing is they're saying, okay, for the free model, you basically get the RSS feed generation, and that's it. You don't get any, um, you don't get to have the tags for like iTunes. And you don't get to have any tracking or anything. Stuff that I've had for the 
three years or whatever that I've done this show. Instead, they're basically giving just a bare basic feed. And if I want to continue to have like the iTunes tags and tracking and stuff, which I never paid any attention to the tracking anyway because most of the time is broken. But if I wanted to keep that, it's like five bucks a month. Wow. Okay. Did not know that. Yeah, it, I wasn't too happy when I saw that. The, the changes don't go into effect until I think like the 1st of June, so I have a little bit of time to find a new service. But I'm wanting to hopefully move sometime in the next month or so to something else. I'm just kind of worried uh, primarily about things like iTunes and stuff and trying to get the feeds to change over, and I don't want it to break anything and lose subscribers and stuff like that. So just so everybody... Be aware of it. Keep an eye on the Global Geek News homepage, and when I have new feeds or whatever, if it does break iTunes and stuff, you can grab the new feed and subscribe that way. But anyway, go ahead and jump right into our stories here, which I totally forgot to load all the tabs up. Anyway, (laughs) the first story being that apparently there's a Japanese newspaper that refuses to let anybody link to them because they don't know why you're linking to them. Maybe it's a way of, um, like, a backdoor to get into their paywalled content for free. Basically, what they're trying to do is control uh, all of their messages and also all their content. Um, Apparently, there are no freemium models, really, uh, in Japan for the newspapers. So... uh, Usually everything is behind a paywall because uh, there is no free content. So what they're doing is just having a continuation of that and try to protect it more. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I read this story because I didn't realize that Japan was that different when it comes to newspapers and stuff where over there, print isn't really dying over there, at least not at this point. That seems to be nice and healthy over there compared to what we have. And I don't know if it's because of all the subscription and paywalled stuff or what, but surprised the heck out of me. Now, yeah, I mean, the entire internet is, you know, is that the secret are the links. So if you don't allow people to link, I mean, where's the, you know, like, like how do you even, you know, create traffic and like SEO, you know, just like the whole thing seems broken. Well, it seems like what they're since most of it's just subscriber base, and uh, since they don't have pretty much an open website, I'm guessing that they are fully funded by subscribers, and they don't rely on uh, advertisement. And without a reliance on advertisements, you don't get paid by views, just by subscribers. So I guess that's why they feel hmm. that it's not important to be found because people who found them who find them. Uh, are going to pay and subscribe and come back because is the is the newspaper that we're talking about called Nikkei Nike? Yeah, yeah, Nikkei. that's the one that we're talking about. Okay, yeah, I don't have a clue how to pronounce it, but yeah, it's Nikkei. Nikkei. Well, what's I mean, like, what's funny is that now I'm sure people are linking to them. You know, like you know, some people are probably linking to them out of spite. Some people are probably linking to them <laughs> saying this newspaper isn't allowing you to link to them anymore. You know. Yeah, come get me. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it seems really funny. Well, what I'm wondering is, I know there was talk earlier, was it early this year, late last year, about the New York Times planning on putting everything behind the paywall. I'm wondering if they're going to institute a policy kind of like this, because, what is it, Rupert Murdoch or whatever doesn't seem to like the idea of Google pointing to his stuff anyway. 
Yeah, I think this is something that only can work there because, you know, it's not like they had a cultural free like we do. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's just a totally, totally different um, environment. I, I don't think something like that would work because it's all or nothing. Because um, Japanese newspapers as a whole, as an industry there in Japan, they all kind of do this. But it's it's like um, going to a restaurant that charges for water. I mean, why go there? Well, the only way, like, is this is this all happening because of like the iPad? How like they're quote unquote like trying to say the newspapers now newspapers can finally be read, you know, can be read digitally and you know almost the same, like with with like with like the same vertical quote unquote user experience as um you know um. You know, as like a like normal newspaper. So like, I wonder if like you're gonna start seeing this more often. Like that, the, the New York Times, just like Wes was saying, is like kind of creating like a back end. You know, like not letting their main stories be freely accessible. Like I wonder if this is like, you know, kind of like a trend. Yeah, I don't know how exactly things are um, shaping up. I'm kind of keeping an eye on it because the whole iPad thing kind of changes what I thought was the direction that everything was going. Cause I mean, I've, I've looked at, I've read newspapers and stuff on my Kindle and primarily the New York times. And as an experience goes, it wasn't horrible, but it doesn't give you a real newspaper feel to it. And it was, and it's just not the easiest thing to navigate and stuff. But I, I'm kind of curious to see how the iPad and devices like the iPad are going to change things. Hmm. But speaking of the iPad, apparently it has created a surge in ebook piracy. Yeah, which is interesting because, um, to my knowledge, it's, it's kind of hard to load content outside of the iTunes store onto the device. Am I wrong in that? That I hadn't heard anything. That's kind of what I was wondering as well. Is it really easy to get like PDFs and stuff onto it? I, I don't know. I haven't even tried one yet. Mm. Yeah, I guess it was depends on the form in which you receive the ebook. But uh, there's a study that was actually done uh, apparently by Torrent Freak. Um, they monitor um, some popular books, um, top ten paperbacks, uh, six of which they were found found on uh, BitTorrent. And they monitor the the rate of download before the launch and after the launch, and they showed that every single one that they monitored spiked in um, download frequency. Yeah, hmm. I, I was kind of surprised. Some of them spiked by like seventy eight percent. Some of them jumped up by like one hundred and forty percent. And we're not talking huge download numbers. We're talking about an increase in terms of percentage. But even so, some of them, I think it was Getting Things Done by David Allen, his went up to 435 downloads a day from 277. So ebook piracy is not a real big issue, but apparently popular devices like the iPad is still causing a little bit of a spike in traffic. Well, I think that that most of these companies have to learn about the idea of like the loss leader. You know, is that there's I think there's other ways to make money. You know, like, uh, you know, how bands will give away their music for free and then they'll make money while they go on tour or they're, you know, maybe they'll leverage that audience that, that they build up to sell more merchandise or maybe they'll write a book instead of a CD on top of that. Or maybe they'll, 
you know, they'll give away their book and create some kind of uh, like networking, you know, like some like, like that. if you give away your book, then it tends to get viral and then you network more and you get a lot of emails and press wants to talk about you because it kind of like gets, like just gets like spread around. And then from that result, then you start doing like in-person like speaking gigs and consulting gigs and things like that. So, I mean, I, I think that you maybe would lose sales on your actual book up front, but that I think there's so much upside for other venues. And if you're not looking at those venues, then you're an idiot. Yeah. yeah, I think Walt's right. I, I think that a lot of the, especially with the a medium like a digital format, that you can put increased content on there. Um, even uh, a, a personalized thank you for buying uh, my book in lieu of someone signing a copy uh, would be something that people would pay extra for. Um, I mean, who, who wouldn't want whenever you open up? Your your copy of Stephen King's novel, sorry, the Stephen King saying, "Hi Walt, uh, really appreciate you buying my book. I hope you enjoy it. I would love that um, have that kind of intro or personalization on a book. Um, also, like we were talking about our last week, our story about um, downloadable content for video games. You can have the same thing for books. So um, one thing that was summarized in this article was saying that piracy is not a problem now." But with these two data points, it seems like it's on an increase. We don't know if it's going to hockey stick up. We don't know if it's going to be a natural progression. Um, but we all can agree that with like the Juju, the iPad, and all these ebook readers, e even the Kindle, um, that ebooks are gaining uh, gaining the attention of everyone, and that includes pirates. Yeah, I have a feeling that I'm not, and I'm not sure how like the iPad parses PDFs and stuff like that. But from my experience of pirating books, put putting them on my Kindle, and and sometimes even just reading a PDF on my computer, compared to actually buying an ebook or buying a physical book, the experience just isn't nearly as good. Especially with the Kindle, the formatting of the PDFs tend to be horrible you can't zoom in on images so i'm thinking that as we get these devices that have that do a better job of like parsing pdfs and stuff i think we're gonna see this increase tremendously but in the near future it won't be too bad yeah we're, we're definitely in the 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 medieval ages of digital uh print and distribution. Um, it's going to take a while to figure out what works and what doesn't work. But um, with more competition, we'll have more choices and more choices, which means that um, we'll quickly get to a point where it's it's actually usable for the majority of the population. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of things like the iPad, apparently last week Apple announced the iPhone OS 4.0, which also for the iPad, would, and is apparently bringing multitasking and an ad framework, plus about 100 or so other features and some new rules for the devices. This is, I think, this is so convenient that I don't know, and you know, I mean, of course there's always something new around the corner, but I'm so convenienced by my phone now that when you add multitasking and a couple of the things, like the seven, uh, they call them the tent poles, like the seven tent poles, um, and plus all of the other things. Like I know some of the other things too. 
I don't know how much better you can get other than this. Like, and, and I mean, you know, like I'm so convenienced by this device that it is just like, I, I don't know what else I could ever want for a phone, even for the next 15 years, you know? Well, you know what Steve Jobs' defin- definition of multitasking is, right? Um, that Apple can make money you money from selling the device. They can make money from your ATT subscription, and now they can make money through iAds. So um, that's multitasking for them, and, and their app store. I mean, that's there's their four temples of making money from their users. <laughs> this is actually one of those things awesome. that. There was a couple of us, I think, that discussed this a little bit at Mix, and that you have this base product, the iPhone, which, as of this morning or whatever, apparently Steve Jobs replied to an email saying that there will be no further support for the 2G version. But when you have something like the iPhone, which from version to version isn't really changing much, it's essentially the same product, and you have these major updates where you're throwing in 100 plus new features like apparently they're doing with this one it ends up becoming bloated where people don't use a lot of the new features and it's time to kind of kill off the device and bring out something totally new and just kind of reinvent it rather than spend years iterating and adding all this stuff that people may or may not find useful Interesting. So you think that these updates will actually have a reverse effect on like the minimalist kind of Apple fan base? A little bit. I, I think it's, um, I think it's getting to a point where it's for a device that's as simple as the iPhone. It's going to start to get really crowded in terms mm-hmm. of features and stuff, and it it's just going to start to get bloated. And people are going to say, "Okay, what's the next device? This one's getting long in the tooth. It's getting complicated." Give us something new and fresh. Well, I mean, what seems complicated like that, like that. So, you know, if one of the changes is having a character count in the text messaging, like that, I think is like a welcome addition. And then I think that multitasking is awesome. I think that the iAd thing is, you know, that's it, fine. I think that the ads on on the iPhone are kind of stupid, um, you know. But then, like, also, like one of the changes is like, you know, there's a lot of like aesthetic changes, like the wallpaper. On the background, which I think is stupid, but some people demanded it. Then there's, um, then they they changed the docking now, like the actual like docking bay, to make it uh, the same branding as your iPhone dock or as your Mac dock. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the bottom where. So for your, so for your listeners, it's like the four buttons on the bottom of, of the phone that can't move. Um, like instead of it being like a block, like they're sitting on like a platform now, similar to the Mac operating system, you know, OS 10. Mm-hmm. So like that, like you know, I think that a lot of it is aesthetic, and there's some back, I think, back end changes to make it move faster, and the API is different now. And I don't know, like I don't know how much how bloated they're going to make it. I, I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. You know, well, I'm well it's at a hundred new features, um, but I think it's hundred new minor features with a couple of. You know, you know, some major ones now, like multitasking, for instance, and iAds. But I think most of, like you said, Walt, it's just it's mainly cosmetic and little tweaking here and there, where, um, or maybe some fit and finish and some polish. Maybe that's mostly what it is. I'm kind of curious to see if a lot of people won't want to turn off multitasking, not only for battery issues, but if you've got all kinds of different instant messengers and Skype and Facebook and all these different things that are going to be 
sending you notifications and stuff. And if you've got them all running essentially at the same time, you're trying to deal with different chat windows and everything, it's just going to become one hectic device where it's hard to really get anything done because you're getting so much so many notifications and everything from all your different apps if there's if there's one thing that i would want I, well i mean there's maybe like three or four things within the next five years that I, I would i would want from you know from a phone i mean one i mean one would be like 15 to 20 hours battery life like that would be awesome you know mm-hmm. duh um and, and you know, I think they were capable of doing it, but I think that Apple actually holds back what they're capable of doing. You know, like if Apple wanted to, they could have released multitasking three years ago. But if they did, then they would have had no evolution. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, like I think that that's one big thing, at least for me. And then another thing is I want to do a lot of like, um, uh, what do you call? It? Like I want syncing between all, like between like my Mac and my iPhone. And my laptop, you know, like I, I want all like the apps and, you know, the notes and the, and the calendar. Well, not the calendars. I mean, the calendars are synced. But, you know, like I want all like the files to be synced, like like almost like cloud computing. But like, you know, not you know, like it's obviously not a cloud. But so that's another thing. Then another thing is, uh, you know, some type of like solar power um, charging, you know, so I don't have to keep on plugging it in. Yeah, solar power would be nice. I I think as far as battery life goes, I think we're kind of hitting a wall right now in terms of battery for phones and laptops and stuff. It's just a case of how much extra weight and stuff do you want with your device and how much room do we have to shove batteries in it. Because battery technology hasn't really moved on in I don't know how many years now. There's a lot of stuff that MIT's doing, if you pay much attention to what they're doing in terms of battery technology, that are tremendous leaps over what we have now, but who knows when we're actually going to see that in the consumer market. Yeah, yeah what, 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 what Walt was saying about having the ability to sync you know, over the air instead of having to physically dock it, um, that's something that could be done. I mean, it's not something that's technically impossible. Um, but one thing that's preventing that is that um, Apple's draconian policy over what applications are in the App Store. And um, also with the 4.0 announcement, um, the license agreement in the SDK states that you're even restricted on how you even develop apps for the iPhone. That you you cannot use an interpreter to create um, your source code for submittal into the Apple iStone. Uh, I, uh, the iPhone iStone. <laughs> the iStone. iStone. Where do you, yeah. you get that at? Because like they're stonewalling people. <laughs> yeah, this is the iStone. This is one of the things that kind of irritated yeah, me. Yeah. Not not just because Adobe's all pissed off about it because they can't because apparently if they're new CS5 or whatever they've got something in it where you can make. Flash-based iPhone apps, but I know of a number of really successful apps that are written in C Sharp with the oh now I can't think of the different um, tools you have to use with C Sharp. I think it's like Mono Develop and stuff to have iPhone apps. But from what I can tell, I see no difference in the quality of those apps compared to ones that are written in Objective C. Yet apparently. Steve seems to think that they're far worse quality compared to ones that are actually made in the 
development environment that Apple provides. Yeah, I think it sucks. I mean, yeah, it it tries to, it locks out a whole bunch of players. Um, it it goes to a whole nother level of control, um, where he's trying to find the piece of the chain um, that other people are free to develop for, and then lock that down so he has control. Yeah, I don't know. It's also kind of good news because I want Flash to die. So oh, I hate I hate Flash. I hate it. You know, I don't mind it as much now with the 10.1 beta that I've been using because I don't have to worry about it hogging up all my CPU. Everything gets offloaded to the GPU, so where I don't have a performance hit when I'm whenever I'm watching HD videos on YouTube or Hulu or whatever. But it's still buggy as you can get and crashes all the time, and I, I still can't stand it. I wonder... Um... Like, why is Adobe so adamant on keeping Flash around? Like, they're not getting paid for Flash. That's where I'm, I'm confused. Is it just because they don't, because it's like the free publicity? Like, they just want to keep it alive? I think it's a case of there's so many people that from the past decade, decade and a half that know how to um, program with Flash. That's a huge number of people that will buy their tools for developing for Flash and stuff like that. So if they don't have Flash, then they don't have anything to sell to those developers and they can't make money. I, th- I think that's the big issue. Yeah. Flash is kind of like Java for that same reason. It's an interpretive hmm. language and people want uh, just like Java, can you know you write once, run everywhere. People were treating Flash the same way. You write a Flash app and then now you can run it on any browser. And now, pe- now they're trying to go one step further, saying, well, if you wrote your application in Flash and you want to be on the iPhone, even though the iPhone doesn't run Flash, we have our own built-in converter so that you write it in Flash, but we convert it to iPhone language so you can submit it to the Apple Store. And Apple's right. really, really putting the kibosh on that, saying, no, um, you have to write it purely only in our tools, and you can't use this other development tools. It's just stupid to me. My question is, how much more... How should I put it? Like, like how much more less "quote unquote" heavy and uh, faster, and you know, less prone to like breaking down and crashing is the iPhone, uh, like Objective C kind of apps, opposed to the Adobe Flash apps? Like, I mean, like, is there, there are there are no numbers. There are no numbers. This is this could be just Steve Jobs has one app that crashes one day. It's like, who wrote this? What did you write it in? Okay, no more. I mean, who knows how they came to this decision? There are no statistics as to uh, which is more or less reliable or which is more or less bulky or actually which runs better or worse. I mean, I have I have seen no data on this subject. Interesting, because I wonder if iPhone were to open up their... Not... Oh, no. You said open. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You no. see, that's, a, that's a four-letter word, open. <laughs> right. No, but you know, it's like I'm saying, right? Is but I'm saying that if 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 an iPhone app were released on the web and you compared it, you know, face to face with a Flash app, I wonder which one would actually run faster, less buggy, and uh, you know, better user experience and all. Like, I I think that would be a really interesting thing. Of course, we're never going to see it, but I think that would be a really interesting thing to see if you know if uh, Flash is really as bad as Apple makes it sound. I mean, I hate Flash. I think it's extremely buggy. But also, my iPhone does crash a lot of times, and you know, like just you know, I mean, 
when I was on the phone with you guys before this, you know, like just tonight, like I was just telling you how, how, how my phone crashed and the apps crash every once in a while. And so I don't know, you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I don't know. It, it seems like objective C or whatever seems to be a whole lot more stable than anything made in flash, but that's just from what I've noticed. I mean, I still have apps crash on, on occasion, but not with like the frequency I have as in terms of flash crashing in my in any of my browsers. Yeah, I I mean the thing is that the iPhone whole like SDK thing was built from from the ground up, so you know obviously it's probably tuned to a pin for you know the Apple experience. Yeah, and um, speaking of browsing and stuff, I just saw a little bit ago right before I left for dinner actually that. Apple has approved Opera Mini for the App Store. Yeah! I can't say how excited I am about that as a huge Opera fan, especially a huge Opera mobile mini fan. I'm not an Opera fan, but I've also never really tried it, but this is, like, blowing me away. I can't believe they actually let it through. <laughs> I don't believe it either. Because now, like, because that creates, like, a whole storm now, because now... Mozilla's going to want to get involved with it, you know, in it. Like, like at what point do they say no to Google? You know, it's yeah. like... You know they're yeah. 11 days late <laughs> in approving it. Yeah. They should have done it on April 1st. <laughs> yeah, I was... I, Considering all the stink that they've put up in the past about apps that duplicate features that the iPhone already has, I was surprised that they'll allow a competing browser to Safari. Yeah, and they had that VoIP uh, application that, that that was like that Google Voice-like application that they approved. I mean, mm-hmm. somebody's going crazy there. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe the real harsh people had the day off at Apple when it got approved. Yeah. Well, previous uh, this story was talking about how, actives, uh, how uh, Apple's more restrictive. Um, it looks like Microsoft is going the other way around and trying to get Silverlight on more devices. Yeah, this one kind of surprised me a little bit. I guess Microsoft is going to be working with a number of device manufacturers for set-top boxes, TVs, Blu-ray players and stuff for creating these system-on-a-chips so that people can run Silverlight apps on their TVs and stuff. And the way the story makes it sound is that it's more about like streaming services using IIS and the smooth streaming technology and stuff that they have for Silverlight, which can has all kinds of different really cool features like adaptive bitrate streaming, so that way if your um, connection starts to go a little bit, it can adjust for that, and DVR capabilities and all kinds of stuff, which that is something that, really impresses me just having seen the technology and stuff before and I'd love to see that in TVs. I'm kind of curious to see if now this means we're going to see more um, apps and widgets and stuff on our TVs and Blu-ray players and set-top boxes now well, since we're going to have this capability. It, it's To simplify it, this is an Xbox without the games, right? It allows you... This is the framework for building uh, everything an Xbox can do, except for the games. I mean, you can watch movies, you can do Netflix, you can add applications, you can do all that. Um, even, I guess you could even add gaming to this. Um, but this is uh, Web TV 2.0, or 3.0, actually. 
Yeah, Silverlight isn't made too much for gaming. That was one of the kind of things that they really stressed at Mix was that Silverlight was more for um, streaming video, application development, stuff like that, whereas XNA is more for the gaming end of things. And I really don't think we'll see XNA moving to any platforms beyond the 360, the PC, and the Zune and Windows Phone 7, stuff like that. I, But to see... This coming to different devices, I'm kind of curious to see just how open it's going to be in terms of can people install their own apps or is this basically just like a Sony and having this in their TVs so that they can have a media streaming service? Yeah, like, I mean, one thing that I'm amazed about for, you know, there's a couple things is that um, I'm amazed at how Microsoft will not put Silverlight you know, like buried and just kill it. But like, I feel like that every month, like there's another thing that's like Microsoft Silverlight isn't, you know, surpassing Ustream or isn't blah, blah, blah. And it's like, then the next month I'll read like Microsoft launches $200 million campaign for Silverlight. And just like, wow, like really? Like, you know, whatever. But so like, I I think that that's interesting how they keep on fighting for like the Silverlight, like they really believe in it, which is, is actually pretty, you know, I think it's cool how they believe in a product and it's not working out, but they, keep fighting it and now you kind of hear all these good stories it's, you know it's kind of cool but uh I, like i also think it's interesting because microsoft actually approached ustream and there was a big article about it a couple years ago is that they approached ustream because they wanted to buy ustream and uh you know now they're kind of come out with like they're kind of like um you know uh what's the word like they're kind of like broadcasting out or they're kind of like syndicating this whole like silverlight thing out and uh mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like that if Silverlight starts to become really kind of like an open source kind of streaming service, I think that would be kind of crazy, you know? Yeah, I don't know very many people that actually um, take advantage of the streaming capabilities that it offers. I know that for the Olympics, they were using Silverlight and the different services that it offered in terms of streaming, DVR, playback functionality, and stuff like that. And even at Mix, they announced that they were open sourcing all of the code for that they used for the streaming and everything for the Olympics so that anybody can basically take that and create their own experience really easily. Yeah. Yeah, they're the IE of the codex right now. I mean... Uh, it's just a me too. It, they, they don't really have a really good differentiator to compel people to switch broadcasting or streaming technologies at the moment. Um, but if they put it in Service Pack uh, uh, 1 of Windows 7 or Service Pack 2 of Windows 7 and put it on Windows Phone and just cast their seed, of course the EU wouldn't let let them do that. But if they just did that, then uh, then they say then people would know what the install base was. Uh, and uh, be more prone to, 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 to code to it. Yeah, I don't know what the actual install base is. I know as of Mix, it was 60% of all Internet-connected devices. And if you want to develop for Windows Phone, you have to develop in either Silverlight or XNA. So, which is which is kind of bull. I mm. mean, no way, no way is it 60%. If you consider all the iPhones out there, Internet-connected devices, if you connected all the mobile phones out there, Internet-connected devices... Uh, all the DVRs that are out there that are internet-connected devices? No. No, there's no way. I, I think they're, I think it kind of varies from the amount of support that each device has, because I know 
I believe it was when I was at PDC, they actually had iPhones with that were there to show off the IIS smooth streaming support that Silverlight has. So I know the iPhone and stuff can do Silverlight. I, all of the major browsers can do Silverlight, with the exception of Opera, where it's really buggy and likes to crash a lot of times, which is my only real complaint with the new version of Opera. But I, I, I'm kind of curious to know how they, what they consider internet-connected devices that they came up with that number, because I have my doubts about that number. But I, I think that there is a lot of devices that have the ability to do it. I'm, I'm just not sure exactly how um, support and stuff works for different devices. But. Really quick, um, I have to get cracking in like a couple minutes, so like let's like, you know, jump to like the next story, and uh, you know, and then I gotta uh, you know, like, because I have to um, get some rest and then, do, and then do my taxes. I think that's I think that's the big story tonight is that I got to get done my taxes within two days. So, yeah, that should be nice and fun. <laughs> I think that's the big story now. But uh, no, I I don't know. I'm not really too excited about doing it, but whatever. Uh, it's also my fault for waiting last minute. Yeah, just take it down to H and R Block or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I should. Oh, I'm sure the well, at this point the line would be around the building, probably, but yeah. <laughs> well, I know put- net. Netflix pushed out Silverlight at 1.2, and also the Roku box is considered an interconnected device, which brings us to our next story, which is about Netflix renewing agreement with Universal and 20th Century Fox about streaming and DVD releases. Yeah, this is really... They're basically real similar deals to what they made, what uh, Netflix made with Oh, Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner Brothers a couple of months ago, where now all the major movies can be delayed 28 days before, after they ship, before they can hit Netflix. And in return, Netflix gets to stream all kinds of different TV shows and stuff from 20th Century Fox and Universal, such as Lie to Me, Bones, 24, King of the Hill, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Prison Break, Arrested Development, and several shows that I'm not sure anybody really cares about from Universal, like It's Complicated, um, oh, I know, Gosford Park, Billy Elliot, uh, Do the Right Thing, a bunch of movies I've never even, or shows or whatever that I've never even heard of. You never heard of Do the Right Thing? Nope. All right, no comment. Uh, no, I've never heard of it either, but um, I think... Spike Lee! It's Spike Lee! Oh, is it really? I wonder if like the whole like Hulu thing is going to uh, happen again for movies instead of like TV shows. Is that if these companies, because obviously like, the publishers are the winners... When it comes to content, right? It, it, I mean, Netflix is pretty much just like an aggregator, and that's all they are, and that's all that iTunes is, you know. And and, and so, you know, that I mean, that's all that the Kindle is. So, um, you know, and that's all that YouTube was. So, if these companies come together, then you can kind of create like a Hulu for Netflix and kind of go against Netflix. So, like, you know, uh, Hulu did to YouTube what if these. Um, 
like if these companies like Universal and 20th Century Fox, they can do a thing against Netflix and kind of create like their own little like niche market, which will, you know, obviously since they own the content, then they can win. It's like, you know, like you always hear about these like new agreement details between Netflix and a company or whatever, and that they're pushing the dates back by 28 days or 30 days or 40 days now, and they're giving them less and less kind of freedom. Um, you know, it, which if people want that freedom, then maybe they should create their own little kind of network. I mean, I, I wonder if that's where it's going, you know, because that's kind of, yeah. Well, when you have somebody like Netflix that's been willing to cave into the whole 28-day window thing, I'm not sure that another company could come along and say, hey, we're not going to do the 28-day window thing when they've basically got the biggest company out there to say, yeah, we'll do it. I don't think that any of the smaller companies that might come along would have any leverage at that point. Oh well, no. I'm saying that the that the actual publishers create their own company. Like mm, that Hulu is okay. owned by like you know Fox and you know all these other major studios. And so um, I don't know. I mean, like there's always kind of like that like like that dark cloud overhead. Like you know, will they ever make their own thing? Because because if they do, well, then Netflix is done overnight. You know. Uh, it could be uh, the whole 28 day window thing. The whole purpose of it is to sell more DVDs and stuff anyway. So I don't know if the, if the um, major production companies would even consider something like that. I'm not I'm not sure how beneficial it would be for them. Yeah, but I have to admit I think that Netflix is an amazing company. I, I'm blown I'm blown away by the way that they've scaled in the past five years. Blown away. Yeah, I. I love Netflix, especially compared to that horrible company that still, for some reason, seems to be clinging to life called Blockbuster. Hey, well, here's what's funny is that Netflix won a huge lawsuit against Blockbuster. Blockbuster was doing their like kind of like Netflix model a couple years ago. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And uh, Netflix took them to court because Netflix apparently patented the concept, and Blockbuster uh, Blockbuster um, apparently lost. And, um, you know, so that was, like, a huge story. And so Blockbuster kind of went went around it. Like, they're doing, like, this, like, kind of, like, something similar but a little bit different. But, um, you know, Netflix just kind of has, like, a stranglehold on it now, you know? Yeah, at this point, I don't think anybody could really take on Netflix. I mean, maybe somebody like Walmart could, but even that, I think they would have a real tough time with it. Yeah, I agree. But... Speaking of things for sale and whatnot, apparently Palm is for sale. Yeah, this is huge. Yeah, I, I knew this was coming. I've kind of seen this coming ever since the early numbers of the whole Palm Pre came out, and they were not real wonderful. But I guess as of this posting or whatever, apparently Palm is having Goldman Sachs and... Quantalist partners looking around for somebody to buy them. Hey guys, not to be rude, but I gotta get cracking. It's uh, you know, well past eleven o'clock here okay. on the East Coast. <laughs> Alrighty, well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, dude, to- totally, guys. Uh, you know, like, um, you know, I have to come on like like on a night when like it's a little bit earlier. You know. Yeah, sure, definitely. We'll make sure to get you on here in the real near future. 
yeah like i'll like i'll do like uh you know like i'll pop in for stories two through five you know one through four or something you know and then if you push back er, you know push back earlier than anything i think i can do more of course yeah but sounds good cool well thanks but uh so keep on Keep on doing the show. Uh, I'm going to listen to the back end of it when you upload it to your feed, to your new feed, which should remain free. I agree. I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I've discovered the whole feed burner thing and it seem, how it seems to apparently take my feed and wrap it in, in its own stuff as to where I can apply the iTunes tags with it. So I'm maybe keep the one feed and just have it as a service but the bare minimum features wrap it in the feed burner feed. So I get all the iTunes tags and use that, but I'm still not sure about the whole process of getting like iTunes and stuff to see the feed burner feed instead. It's a messy process. Yeah, no, I have, uh, I have fever and I'm, I'm extremely convinced by it. Although I will say from someone who doesn't know a lot about like the web stuff, like I, I know a little bit about the web, but, uh, you know, I mean, even me, I was still kind of like, kind of like, like, uh, kind of like confused about it. But mm-hmm. you know, it, there's just a lot going on. Like, I, I wish it, it were just like a two-click deployment, but it's not. It's kind of like a whole thing. But yeah. whatever, it's one of those like set it and forget it things. So, yep. But, well, well, thanks for coming on. Thanks, dudes. Yeah, have fun doing All your right. taxes. Yeah, right. All right, Wes, I'll see you around, dude. Is he there? Wesley? Did he drop off? I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm hearing a little bit of noise from his microphone now. Yeah. You there, Wesley? Wesley. <laughs> I'm thinking he may have muted himself. Maybe Wesley has to do his taxes. Yeah. Ah, there we go. Mic got unplugged. Ah, right. Um, all right, I've guys. Been saying, like, the, I've been saying the funniest joke is like, all right, Walt. Act like Palm and go away. Is that what you were just saying? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. Listen, I'm 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 gonna get I'm gonna I'm gonna get cracking. All right, take okay. care. See ya. All right, guys. Cheers. Okay. Well, anyway, back to our Palm story. I, I was trying to hurry up to that story because I know there was. He wanted to talk about that a little bit, but apparently we just didn't get there in time. Yeah. I know one of it is that he had some uh, personal rooted, uh, deep-seated hate towards Palm. <laughs> yeah, it seemed to be a little bit of that case. I, I've never used any kind of a Palm device before, so I can't really say anything about their devices. I know a lot of people that like the WebOS, but... I, it's nothing I've ever even really been interested in trying. Yeah, I, I mean, I would uh, like to see how much they're being sold with sold for. I wonder if they would sell the WebOS separately. I mean, it'd be nice if the uh, Palm Pre became a platform and uh, maybe even load Android on it. I mean, it seems like a cap- the hardware itself seems pretty capable. Um, but uh, it's the OS, I guess, is a little clunky in having the support. Um, well, they they totally screwed up the web OS as a, and the phone and stuff as it was. I I had always thought ever since it was announced, and initially they gave the impression that it would be on all kinds of phones, not just mm-hmm. the Pre and the Pixie. Um, yeah. 
I thought it was. Well, they have. They also have the pre plus. Don't forget that. So that's three pounds. Yeah. Well, at the same time, I thought it was going to be more of an Android platform kind of thing, where it's going to be on devices from all kinds of different manufacturers. The fact that didn't they didn't go with that and tried to stick with their own branded phones, kind of like an Apple, the way that Apple does things, I think is where they really shot themselves in the foot. Not to mention the fact that the SDK and stuff for the environment was really underpowered and no then they couldn't really get much noise of any developers working on it and they just didn't do what they needed to do to get people interested in the device from a development perspective or from a consumer perspective. Yeah, the company's always been confused moving from um with many partners to a a, a straight vertical operation. Um, when they had the heart palm, the hardware division, and palm, the OS division, and then um, they allowed people like Sony to to use their OS, and then then they they you know purchased the company, and they made one company, and they split up again, and they came back together. Um, they've always been a confused company, and this is it's just that they were doing well at the time. They were so semi-successful. Uh, you can't do that and. Um, be failing at the same time. So I think this was always in the cards. And uh, what they really did needed was really good leadership, but uh, I think they failed to get that too. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a culture problem, but uh, if another company does buy Palm, uh, I believe they're most likely everyone who works for Palm will be liquidated and just their assets, as in uh, their IP, uh, is going to be taken. Yeah, I think it. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm kind of curious to see who's actually interested in buying. Supposedly HTC is interested as well as Lenovo, which mm-hmm. I don't really see much as of in terms of Lenovo as a mobile player. I, it makes a lot of sense to me in terms of HTC, especially with the whole lawsuit with Apple over patents and whatnot. If they can get their hands on the huge patent portfolio that Palm has, they could be sitting in a real good position against Apple. Right, and, and if someone like HTC picked it up with as good a relationship as they have with um, Google and the whole, oh, I can't think of the Android. Well, I was thinking the foundation that's behind the Android, the Open Handset Alliance. There we go. I'm thinking that they'd be willing to kind of pass around the patents as necessary, or maybe come up with some kind of a licensing deal or whatever so that if Apple or Nokia or whatever decides to flex their patent muscle, they can all kind of come together around these patents and fight back against it. I think it would be perfect for Dell. I mean, Dell's one of the possible suitors. The reason for that is because Dell already makes Android devices and they're going to be they're already committed to make Windows 7 devices. The difference between uh, the the things that are the same between Android and Windows Mobile 7 or Windows Phone 7 series, whatever, is that um, they all have minimum hardware requirements. Dell can acquire Palm and then repurpose the web OS for some lower end, maybe uh, developing country operating system for an entry level phone, uh, which I think will help them uh, bridge their uh, bridge the gap between their whole family of phones that they could offer. Yeah, and I don't see it being um, sent to like third world countries or anything. Is 
like a developer phone. I mean, I think that's pretty much largely the territory of feature phones. But mm-hmm. at the same right. time, Android in it of itself is of no cost to any of these manufacturers. So I think that would be a whole lot cheaper route if, if they wanted to do something like that. It's just to throw Android on it. Cause well, there is no cost, but there is a hardware minimum requirement that puts it on a different level. Uh, even if the OS is free, um, the touchscreen is something that uh, requires, like the, the multi-touch touchscreen, that's a certain level of of of, uh, of 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 additional cost to have that high-quality screen. And the same with the accelerometer and same with GPS. But with Palm, they can strip down to the component level and have everything uh, as cheap as possible and still have an OS to drive it. Yeah, it's possible. I, I don't. I've got a feeling that Dell probably wouldn't be interested, but I'm kind of curious to see where this goes. I, I'd like to see Microsoft pick them up out of anybody. I mean, I'd like to see HTC get them too, but I'd like to see basically anybody but Apple pick them up just for the yeah. sake of the patents. Well, I also think like Lenovo or Dell should pick them up because the mobile computing device is the next computer. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to stay in that same industry, I mean, mobile is the future. And so they need to get in early, which I think Dell is doing a re- really good job. Uh, Lenovo's in it, too. Like, they already make um, some Windows mobile phones. Um, but uh, if, if if you're going to stay in the computer industry, you have to be in mobile. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm kind of wondering if a company like Arcos wouldn't be interested in something like that. I mean, Arcos makes great little Internet tablets. Maybe doing something like these, like a mobile phone device, might be something in their future as well. I don't know. That's, I mean, to me, that sounds like Apple making a phone, which mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to me initially, but mm-hmm. it could be very successful. I don't know. It's something they would have to try. Um, they haven't been the best at marketing. Uh, they've been great with distribution, but this could, but like you said, like if they did make a mobile phone, that could be something that could ga- garner more attention. And allow them to sell some of their internet tablets, also. Yeah, I, I've never really played too much with them myself, but I know people absolutely love them. The people that do have them. But moving on, apparently the controversial digital economy bill that we discussed a few weeks back has passed in the UK. Yeah, overwhelmingly by 189 to 47 vote. Yeah, I. I I think I saw a picture or whatever of the debate on there, and for only forty some of the, um, I don't know, like the House of Lords or whatever, were actually in there talking about it, and they had just a real brief time to discuss it compared to a lot of legislation. So it doesn't surprise me that this kind of passed, since it didn't seem like a lot of people were too interested in it in terms of the politicians. Yeah, it seems like it kind of got uh, rushed through. Uh, not a lot of debate. Um, some severe penalties for people who operate Wi-Fi hotspots and uh, and anyone seen not to comply with the law. They seem pretty strict. Um, I, I, I'm wonder what the initial the 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 fallout's going to be like as it gets implemented. Yeah, this is one of the things we talked about, and it may have been like a month or two ago that we talked about it as far as like cafes and stuff that operate mobile hotspots if they're classified as like an ISP or exactly how they're classified 
in terms of do they have to gather data about their customers so that way if they're if they come in download something illegally they have to be reported all kinds of stuff and it's just one of those real nasty things from what I was reading on Torrent Freak I think it was yesterday that I was reading it apparently they were discussing different ways to essentially get around it apparently they're going after primarily uploaders so basically if you're using BitTorrent you're an uploader because that's just the way the BitTorrent works um but apparently, if you use something like Usenet, where you're just a downloader, you don't have to worry too much. If you use like a VPN, like the Pirate Bay's um, iPredator or something like that, I, I think that's what it's called, or something to that effect, their VPN service, or among others, where it takes it and it uses an IP address somewhere outside of the country then you can get around it that way. I, I guess there's a number of different holes around it because they didn't... This course is a bunch of politicians. They don't know what the heck they're doing. Um, but, yeah, I think this is going to cause a fair bit of trouble for a lot of people in the UK. Yeah. A lot um, of the less technical people, I should say. Pirates will be pirates. Yeah, I mean, initially... With you know laws that that are this far reaching, it's going to have some unintended consequences, and, and until we actually see some some concrete cases in which uh, they 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 get that far, and um, we're, we're really not going to understand the full extent of how overreaching this law is. Yeah, it's going to be something to definitely follow as it starts to get implemented. Wasn't didn't this have a three strikes implementation on it? It was like a modified three, three strikes. Uh, it wasn't as harsh as three strikes, but the same kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking it had something to that effect. But at least I guess maybe. Ah, never mind. I totally lost my train of thought there. Uh, anyway, next story. Since we're Comcast. running a little on the behind side, apparently Comcast finally beat the FCC in court last week, and and this was of course over the whole BitTorrent throttling case that the when Kevin Martin was the head of the FCC, they went after Comcast hard over, despite the fact that there was no real penalties at all, it, it, which never made a whole lot of sense to me. It was basically oh, hey, stop doing this. You're not allowed to do this. No penalties or nothing. Just, just slap on the wrist. Don't do this. Yeah, and finger waggle in the in the face of Comcast. Yeah, and why they kept pursuing this, I mean, I understand it from a, like a legal standpoint, point of view, as far as they don't want to have the precedence there, and especially since the FCC supposedly didn't have the power to enforce something like this. But as soon as the FCC handed down their ruling against Comcast, they said, oh, well, we already have a new filtering system that should be in place almost immediately. It's like, okay, then you're fighting this. Why? Just deal with it and move on. Yeah, well, I think ultimately this is a good thing. This is a a legally tested on what the FCC can and cannot do. And now it's spelled out, and the court has ruled. So hopefully that'll do one of two things. Either the FCC will get expanded powers 
to regulate uh, cable companies and broadband providers, or um, they won't. And we know that they have no power to regulate broadband providers and uh, the, the, the users, which would be us, uh, can complain to the government to have them fix it or find who is uh, uh, in charge. And that will force some sort of, uh, hopefully, some sort of regulation, new regulations to get passed if it's not dealing with the, um, if the FCC does not own it or not. Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of like to see some new legislation passed to give them a little bit more power in this area. But apparently they have, they also have the authority to move, to reclassify broadband services as the more heavily regulated telecommunication service under the traditional Title II, which I guess has wireless companies like, or has companies like Bells and Cables and wireless companies, stuff like that. So one way or the other, whether they like it or not, the FCC can still kind of go ahead with its whole broadband initiative and create some sort of rules governing broadband and stuff. It's just not the way that Kevin Martin's FCC was trying to implement it, which it seemed to me is a case of, that's not right. You can't do that. Right. But uh, uh, Before we switch on to the, to the next story, I, I want to make sure that I give a shout-out to Stacey Higabotham. Excellent reporter. Uh, does a fine job. Uh, I just have to give her kudos because uh, without her covering stories like this, there's no way we would find out about them. Yeah, I have to say she's got to be one of my favorite writers, if not my favorite writer over at Gigome. Yeah, same here. She's definitely my favorite writer. <laughs> yeah, I like O'Malley too, but she's great. It seems like we use a lot of her stories in the show. The reason why I bring that up again is because today's her birthday, and I want to say happy birthday, Stacy. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, happy birthday, Stacy. Um, were were you ready to move on to the next story, or was uh, yeah, that just something think, you wanted to I throw in there? This is this is pretty much beaten down. I mean, it sucks. We're gonna have to watch, and hopefully, some new laws will get created. Because it's always bad to see the the cable companies win. I don't know why, but I, I just am not rooting for them because I hate the monopolies. I hate how things are structured and them having more power as opposed to less. It just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. And I would like to take this opportunity to say just how much I hate Comcast. Uh, happened to notice, I guess it was on Saturday. Apparently it was my mom that noticed she was watching some movies on AMC or whatever. Apparently as of Tuesday morning, which would be tomorrow morning, the morning that this, uh, goes out live on the internet, or almost live, or whatever you want to call it. Apparently, Comcast is taking away, I think it was like five or six different channels, something like that, from people who don't have a any kind of a digital box, whether it's a converter, one of the great big, gigantic, humongous um, boxes that they offer with their service that have like the digital programming guide and whatever in it. Or I'm and I'm ho- and this I'm not real sure on, but I'm hoping that it'll still work if you have some kind of a digital TV, so where you don't have to worry about the conversion or anything like that. But I guess it's just a way of getting people to move off their analog service. They're taking away channels like AMC, Oxygen, um, KWGN, KUSA, and there were a couple other channels, generally 
speaking not ones that I really watch, some that my mother does, but the fact that they're taking away these channels, not changing prices or anything, just kind of puts them at the top of the list of companies that I hate. Not that they weren't already there anyway. Yeah, that does suck. Yeah, that, if it wasn't for her watching TV and stuff, I would gladly give up cable as it is, because anything I really want to watch, I pirate anyway, so. Anyway. Speaking of giving up something. Yeah, apparently um, Jay Adelson has stepped down as the CEO of Dig, and Kevin Rose has taken his place. Yeah, the rumors were flying, saying that they had some personal... Uh, they didn't see eye to eye um, on how on the direction of where Dig was going, and the board had to make a decision: keep Jay or uh, keep Jay and ditch Kevin, or uh, keep Kevin and ditch Jay. And uh, I think we know who won that battle. Yeah, and I think this is definitely the right way to go. Kevin seems to be a lot more focused on the consumer and stuff, and this I'm. A big fan of the fact that he is killing the dig bar. Always hated the dig bar. But, yeah, you can tell that there was definitely some issues within the company, especially when the dig bar launched and Kevin didn't even seem to know what it was or anything. Mm -hmm. And from what I've read, there seems to have been some issues for a while as to where Kevin Rose stopped kind of being in the office day-to-day and just kind of worked from home or whatever. Why... Jay headed up things at the office, and now Kevin's going to be there full-time. I guess he's supposedly having some issues with the version 4 of Dig that was supposed to have launched last year that's just now being finalized. Well, apparently there's a bunch of stuff on it that he doesn't like, so I expect to see another big delay as far as that goes. But he seems to be definitely taking the company in a different direction than Jay was, and I think it's a much better direction. I think um, Jay was more focused on how to maximize profits and how to uh, make more revenue streams to make the company uh, more money. And I think Kevin was of the school of let's make something exciting that people want to use and then the money will come later. So more of the startup mentality, um, which I think, which what uh, made Dig at the core in the beginning, uh, how they had some of the most loyal users and user base because of that attitude. And I would, I, I welcome the change of Kevin, uh, and and I hope that he brings that spirit back into Dig. Yeah, he's always been much more of a consumer focused person and if i remember right i think last year dig was profitable largely because of the things that jay has done and i think that there's a they have an ad system in there that i think is absolutely brilliant and that you dig the ads it, it they're just a little area for ads that basically looks just like a dig story i think there's something on it that says like sponsored links or something like that and if you like the ad, you dig it, and a lot of people dig the ad, more people are going to look at it because it's got lots of digs, and it's just a great way of doing advertising, I think. But yeah. I, other than that, I'm not sure I've seen real huge 
contributions on the consumer end of things coming from Jay, and I, I think that's that's where Kevin's going to take over. I mean, other than like the dig bar and stuff, where he and he's going to take over and say, okay, now it's time to focus back on the actual users of the site. Now that we are profitable. Yeah. They made some significant amount of money. I think they were forecasting away, what, $40 million or something? Uh, $30. $30 million? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and they both wrote, you know, goodbye letters saying it was time to move on and gave the the you know, good stiff upper lip and made sure that you know, they get the appearances of it being an amicable breakup. Um, but it, it, it's obviously there are some difficulties or else he wouldn't have left. And... Uh, uh, I I just think uh, culturally it's a better fit for Kevin to stay, and I, I'm going to be very interested because um, Kevin is the interim CEO, which means they're looking for a new CEO. So I wonder how many changes uh, they're going to make before um, he relinquishes the position, or if he might just get uh, comfortable in the position and not give it up at all. Yeah, I've got a feeling that that's probably a little bit more what's going to happen, but. It- and in the end, this is kind of the way it had to play out because if Kevin Rose left Dig, a huge amount of the user base and pretty much all the Dig Nation fans would get up and leave Dig as well. Because without, I mean, Dig is Kevin's vision. This was Kevin's thing from day one, and if he's gone, then there's going to be a lot of people that'll leave too. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I, it's going to start an exodus, is what you're saying. Yeah, I. I've, which, if we were talking about Reddit, I'm sure if that would happen, Reddit would be really happy in companies like Reddit. But, yeah, there would, there would be a huge exodus, and it would essentially kill Dig eventually. It, it might take it a little bit, but it would kill Dig. But Yeah, I agree. Anyway, that would be all of the stories for this week. Let me bring up our tips of the week. Which, of which we have two, and of course you can find all of the stories that we talked about, which I believe it, we even actually uh, skipped over one about kids using touch, like 50% uh, use of, of kids using touch screens by 2015. Do we want to yes, hit that story, or just gloss over it? We're kind of late on time anyway. Yeah, let's just gloss over it. We're just, it's just, a, just saying that devices are going to be more prolific in educational institutions by 2015, and that there's going to be a whole generation that's going to grow up by interfacing or using um, using uh, computers only by touchscreen. Yeah, I, I, I've largely grown up using touchscreen, whether it's on my iPod Touch or even like when I was in the video rental store and I would be punching in movie titles and stuff, looking to see if they had movie titles in stock. I've but I've never really cared for touchscreen. I prefer tactile feedback of a traditional keyboard. But anyway, um, tips of the week. First one, bypassing the PS3 firmware 3.2.1 in seconds. Of course, you're doing this at your own risk. For those of you, like myself, who have um, not been willing to upgrade because you don't want to lose your Linux operating system... Apparently there's a workaround if you're still wanting to get on the PlayStation Network. Apparently you can do that using private proxies. I guess there's a homebrew developer by the name of Aaron Lindsay that decided to set up a public server 
at the IP address of 67.202.81.137, and you can piggyback on it in mere seconds as a proxy so that you can start using the PlayStation Network again to download movies, play games, whatever. So, until... um, Oh, now I can't think of his name. Until what's-his-name comes up with the workaround or custom firmware hack or whatever for being able to get your other OS back on the 3.2.1 firmware, this might just be the best way to go if you're still looking to play your games online and stuff. And the second link in the tips of the week is about choosing the right wall mount for your HD TV. Something that I'm definitely going to be looking into. I I don't know if I've mentioned it here on the show or not. I know I've mentioned it maybe bits and pieces here and there on Twitter and stuff, and the chat rooms and whatnot, but I'm looking to build a whole new desk. Or, well, I've been looking to buy one, but I... <sighs> Hang on just one second. I've been called away. Hang on. Okay, there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, sorry about that. Apparently there's some uh, suspicious-looking car parked in front of our neighbor's house. Anyway, um, I've been looking for a new desk. Can't find what I'm really looking for, so I'm looking to build one. If I do that, I've been thinking about mounting my TV on the wall. So I know this is definitely a link that I will be using if you're looking to mount your TV on the wall it's something you might want to check out as well and that's it for the tips of the week don't forget you can find all of the show notes at globalgeeknews.com and don't forget to check out the store at the well the links at the top of globalgeeknews.com also don't forget to check out the blog which is globalgeeknews.com slash blog I have finished getting all my posts up from my trip to Microsoft and now I'm got a couple of other ideas in the works um, a couple of them related to like Windows Phone 7 and maybe how to create apps and stuff on, on it and just a number of different things and I'm going to start doing more opinion pieces like I used to so make sure to head to globalgeeknews.com slash blog and above all most importantly Tell your friends and family and whoever else you happen to come across about the show. Um, Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the numbers last week were abysmal. Compared to the previous week where we we hit a record in terms of downloads. What the heck happened between the weeks? I don't have a clue. But definitely tell everybody you know about the show. We do appreciate it. And everything that you guys do to help promote the show... And keep up the good work, and if you have any questions or comments or anything for the show, stick them in the comments on the post for the show notes, or of course you can contact us at Global Geek News on Twitter, at Global Geek News. I am at Wesley, I mean, you are at Wesley83. <laughs> yes, I am. Last I, time I check. I am at PCNerd37, and... Don't forget, you can also drop me an email if it's something you don't want to be public or whatever, which is at um, PCNerd37 at GlobalGeekNews.com. But until then, hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you guys next week. Later. Later.